A Coming of Wizards by Michael E. Reynolds Throughout this book, there are graphics that play a big part in the explanation of the concepts. These graphics are available in the Earthship app and at earthship.com. Chapter 5. Direct Living We are the Earth. There has been talk of being detached from our physical surroundings, that maybe it is more spiritual to be less attached to the physical plane. This type of thinking has exposed the planet we live on to neglect and abuse by humanity. How can we be enlightened beings on an abused planet? We are born out of, sustained by, and received back into this planet. We are this planet. We are the Earth. The more we surrender to the unarguable phenomenon that we're not separate from the Earth, the more natural power we will derive from our environment. We cannot fully realize our power, our potential, until we realize it is coming through the Earth to us, just as life comes to an apple through a tree. Can the apple grow without the tree? Can humanity grow without the earth? If we relate to the earth as if it were our own body, as it really is, not only will our priorities and our way of life change, but so will the scope of our power. The earth itself is the wave of energy we must learn to ride. If a surfer appropriately relates to a wave, his ride is like a brief moment of ecstasy. If he does not appropriate relate to the wave, he is in for what could be a brief moment of hell. The choice is ours, but just like the surfer, we need to practice to learn the art. The surfer's paradise is an alchemy between himself and the wave. Thus, he must include both the nature of the wave and that of his body in his self-awareness. Humanity's paradise is an alchemy between itself and the earth. Thus, it must include both the nature of the earth and that of its collective body in its self-awareness. Our self-awareness must encompass the whole planet. This would automatically bring about a unity in humans, as it is our detachment from the earth that allows a detachment from each other. In one body of one mind, the right hand does not war with the left. This body of humanity that we are all a part of might learn the art from other bodies on the earth that are already involved in alchemy between themselves and the earth. These are the bodies of water that, like humanity, have both an individual form, as in water drops or rain, and a collective form, as in lakes and seas. Water has a tremendous effect on this planet. The Earth is more as a result of interaction with water. Can humanity say this about its interaction with the Earth? Water embraces the Earth and nurtures it, thus creating a potential neither would have alone. Water and Earth surrender to each other at a plane of mutual existence. This results in an alchemy from which blossoms a condition we call life. All aspects of this condition we call life have continued the alchemical interaction 
the embracing, the nurturing with each other and the earth. These characteristics originating from water have been inherent in all life forms instinctively and naturally until humanity. Humanity has broken the tradition of embracing and nurturing the earth. We must relearn from the waters how to relate to our earth. Humanity must relate to the earth as water does. We must embrace, nurture, surrender, encounter, interact and transform ourselves and the earth in a plane of mutual existence. This is a way to realize our potential. We will only enter the heavens through the earth. Tree, you are a sign of life, with fruit and fowl and shade. You are a pleasure just to see, as you tousle in the breeze. It takes so long for you to grow, to be what you are now. Yet I must cut you down, to do my part in destroying all that is beautiful. Conceptual Awareness If we conceptualize our relationship to the planet, we find we are like a lizard eating itself by starting with a tail. Eventually, this damage starts to outweigh the nourishment. If we look at this and accept it, we have made the first step towards survival as a species. This is a conceptual awareness of our status. We're good at finding solutions. Our weakness seems to be in recognizing the problem. Conscious application. After we become aware of something as serious as damage to ourselves, we suddenly find ourselves inspired to apply our powers to save ourselves. Thus, conceptual awareness sparks conscious application. We apply ourselves to the limits of the somewhat meager state of consciousness we have allowed ourselves. This conscious application can take place both collectively through social arenas and individually through alliance with natural phenomenon. Since social entities are made up of individuals, they should ultimately follow the course of the majority of the individuals. However, individuals having lost their alliance with natural phenomenon for the most part, have no course. Consequently, the present social entities, political and corporate, have evolved such a collective and powerful ego that they herd and lead individuals like sheep. They subtly and daily tell individuals what and who they are and what they need. Then they, the political and corporate entities, provide it in a way that manifests great stress both to the individuals and the planet. This situation can be reversed simply by choice. A choice as simple as a surfer deciding to learn to ride a wave rather than being tossed around and abused by it. Individuals can take steps aligned with natural phenomenon, make moves and consciously and independently apply themselves toward a direct means of survival. This means bypassing what has turned out to be the middle man between individuals and survival, for example, those political and corporate entities. If enough individuals do this, 
the massive political and corporate dinosaurs that hurt individuals will become beasts that serve individuals. Our individual steps are arrows that penetrate dogma. Penetration of dogma by the majority will result in less powerful agencies of social convenience as opposed to the current more powerful agencies of social oppression. With less government and corporate care, individuals can directly take charge and care of themselves via direct communion with the planet. If we do not take ourselves there, the powers that be will take us. Direct communion with the planet will lead us to a plane of mutual existence where we will find peace and unity. Individual conscious application towards direct communication with the planet can make survival a song sung while living. This means daily, moment to moment, applying oneself toward direct means of living. Mutual exchange with the earth is not stressful on either the earth or the individual. This is the nature of a plane of mutual existence. There is much power here. There is also paradise. Direct living is bypassing as often as possible and in any way possible all of the centralized political and corporate dinosaurs that currently herd us like sheep and provide us with food, energy and shelter and a way of life. They are, in effect, steering our very evolution. To actually stop these political and corporate dinosaurs from devastating the earth in order to take care of us is virtually impossible. They have now their own collective wills and egos to nourish by telling us what we need, then raping the earth to provide us with it for a price that has to sustain their phenomenal rate of inefficiency and level of greed. However, if we suddenly decide what we need ourselves and then proceed to directly trade with an encounter the earth to acquire it, we won't need political and corporate dinosaurs. It is our need that feeds them. Without our need, their power will diminish and we as individuals will find ourselves experiencing direct living. Direct living is finding a plane of mutual existence between our housing and the earth. This means orienting the design of housing and the concept of living itself towards the prevailing natural phenomenon rather than the prevailing marketable design. This, in turn, means housing that is heated and or cooled and energized directly by the existing natural energies of the area. The architects must put forth designs that ride these energies in such a way that the home, by its very nature, takes care of the owner. This must happen without stress to either the owner or the planet. This will reduce the need for the care that the political and corporate dinosaurs provided extreme stress to both people and planet. These dinosaurs provide care via centralized energy systems that produce and distribute energy by collecting and burning fossil and atomic fuels. These systems are rapidly lowering our quality of life through destruction of our host of life the earth. In addition, centralized energy systems require a lacing of the earth with an ever-growing spider web 
of dangerous cables which themselves further lower the quality of life by disturbing natural processes and natural beauty. These power lines breed human dependence on that lower quality of life. If you don't want a 350 kilowatt power line in your backyard, then you should take steps now to get off the power grid. The long-range distribution of electricity is subject to line resistance, which results in the production of twice as much energy as there is actually a demand for. This kind of inefficiency alone should be enough reason to dispense with centralized production of energy. The production of our food has also become centralized. Farmlands are being bought up by large corporate chains that make food grow with chemicals. Direct living means growing and finding as much of our own food as possible. This, of course, means evolving our diet. Food from the corporate dinosaurs consumes vast amounts of energy and vitality from the earth both in money-oriented production and in long-range distribution. Money-oriented production of food also radically affects the quality of food to the extent that the food itself becomes a detriment to one's health. Decentralized production of food, both individually and communally, results in better food and a positive exchange with the planet. The current methods of centralized food production and distribution do not result in an exchange with the planet. They simply take from the planet while removing us from natural processes which themselves are patterns that can guide our conscious evolution. Centralized production of energy and food radically increases the power of money as money becomes the only avenue through which we can obtain our sustenance. The monetary system has become an entity, almost a god, in itself, through which we attain our existence from the political corporate dinosaurs. The more we obtain directly through the earth, through positive exchange, the less we have to buy. Direct living means reducing the power of money and increasing the power of direct interaction with the earth, the sun, other individuals and so on to fulfill our needs. A fundamental aspect of direct living is reducing and scrutinizing our needs themselves, living simply so others may simply live. Direct living also means recognizing the byproducts of our civilization as natural resources of our age and using them accordingly. This means recycling, using our garbage rather than burying it or tossing it out the window. Even our garbage is energy that can be ridden. Physical manifestation. Conscious application, for example, a direct living state of mind, paves the way for physical manifestation. The photo shows a physical manifestation of direct living. This home makes its own electricity from the sun. It also makes domestic hot water from the sun. Its interior walls are also constructed from recycled aluminum cans and glass bottles. Its foundations are composed of recycled automobile tires. It has a food production greenhouse. The water from the lavatory, kitchen sink and bathtub are reused 
is grey water in planters that grow food. The most security I can imagine is being able to shift my point of view. The shift. Direct living involves a slight shift in consciousness, viewing things from a different vantage point. This slight shift is the beginning step towards the maneuverability discussed in the previous chapter. If we become adept at these slight shifts, soon we will find ourselves maneuvering through our problems rather than becoming them. When a baby is learning to walk, it takes a lot of short steps at first. Then gradually, longer steps are taken. Soon, it is walking from point to point. Learning to maneuver is similar, only the steps are shifts. An example of one such shift follows. Look at an aluminum beverage can. For years, this aluminum can has been distributed all over the globe as a container for beverages consumed by human beings. The beverage can is so well distributed over the planet that it is at least as common and plentiful as wood. It has been looked upon as waste of garbage, therefore worthless. For a long time, beverage cans were thrown anywhere and everywhere. Then they became a problem to the environment. Reluctantly and solely as a result of pressure from various environmental movements, the manufacturers of beverage cans began to recycle the aluminum to make more beverage cans. Now we have something that is as plentiful as wood 2x4s and actually available in more places than 2x4s. Shelter and homes around the world have been built out of whatever can be found in the area, from grass reeds to trees to rocks to mud and so on. All of these things appear naturally on the planet. Beverage cans appear naturally on the planet and are found in more places than any of the above-mentioned standard building materials. The shift is now. We must shift our way of looking at a beverage can. They will last as long and function very similar to a concrete block or brick. In fact, they are natural bricks. The shift is in looking at beverage cans from a different point of view, the other side of the orbit, releasing the garbage stigma. Many of these types of shifts are necessary to begin to maneuver, and maneuver we must if we are to evolve fast enough to change before we destroy our host organism, the Earth. In Taos, New Mexico, beverage cans have been used for building since 1972. The techniques have evolved over the years to the point where they are approved by the state building codes and financial institutions. The beverage can is a low-tech, energy-efficient building product, the collection and use of which creates minimum skilled employment, cleans up the environment, provides shelter, and reduces the demand for more precious natural resources like trees, all in one shift. This is only a single shift. Imagine what can be accomplished in groups of shifts and eventually through the ability to actually maneuver. Small shifts in our point of view will show us more appropriate ways to deal with our present way of life. Maneuvering will show us a different way of life.
There are many physical manifestations of direct living that follow in this chapter. They represent a shifting and moving from the traditional architecture concepts of human habitats. They represent the beginning of a journey to a less stressful, to both human and planet, and more appropriate way of life. One low-tech skill and two materials, one of which is a byproduct of our society, make both walls and roof of a low-maintenance structure that will last many lifetimes. Insulation is placed in the space between the walls as they go up. The combination of human byproducts, human energy and simple caring is an alchemy that can produce a human shelter. This is shelter produced with minimal use of fossil fuel, energy, corporate products and high technology. This is an application of the concept of direct living. Caring is the seed of a new reality. This following photo was taken from inside the dome shown on the previous page. The windows are 55-gallon oil drums cut in half. These shapes and spaces illustrate the versatility of the aluminum can and glass bottle bricks. Due to the fact that aluminum cans are so light, these shapes can be constructed without the framework necessary in clay brick masonry. Homes, communities, even cities could be built with this material as they have been built in the past with traditional clay bricks. This is not to say the use of aluminum cans for building is going to solve the problems of our world. However, the type of thinking that allows the aluminum can to be a brick is a step in the right direction. This type of thinking lends us the flexibility to uninhibitedly respond to the nature of the moment. And at the moment, we have more of what we term garbage than any other natural resource. Trees drop their leaves to the ground. The leaves rot at the base of the tree, thus enriching the soil from which the tree gets its nourishment. The tree, by strategic placement of its byproduct leaves, is constantly contributing to its existence. Likewise, we as humans, by strategic placement and use of our own byproducts, can constantly be contributing to, rather than taking from our existence. This photo is a construction shot of the building illustrated in the following pages. These three domes made of aluminum cans were totally buried, which reveals the strength of this method of construction. The domes were plastered and then buried, thus reducing the need for insulation and roofing. The buried domes open up to the exciting possibility of underground labyrinths, all made with two materials and one low-tech skill. Thus, the term burying our garbage has a new, shifted meaning. Aluminum can domes had to be presented to the public, to the real estate market, in small doses, as appendages of more traditional structures. This southwestern-style solar adobe home served well as a safe act, within which two aluminum can domes were introduced. This project marked the successful entry of aluminum can domes into the real world. 
This is a picture of a man experiencing the plane of mutual existence with a chicken named Martha. The wall of Martha's chicken coop is seen in the background. It is a half dome, open on the south side, made of bottles and aluminum cans, set on a foundation of automobile tires, tightly packed with earth. While the half dome and full domes represent the purest form of using recycled cans and bottles for construction, they are not the only way. The buildings on the following pages represent a panel wall technique. The wall panels are, like the domes, a double thickness of cans laid in cement with insulation in the middle. This creates a sandwich panel about 14 inches thick. This method allows more conventional shapes and details and, if desired, a totally conventional appearance. Many southwestern-style homes have been built with aluminum cans. The cans have proved to be as fluid as adobe for design and detailing, yet much more durable. Cans and bottles are becoming valuable building materials in New Mexico. This building was built using aluminum cans and a panel wall. These panels are, like the domes, a double thickness of cans laid in cement with insulation in the middle. The post and beam structure is conventional and could be wood, concrete or steel. No finish is required inside or out. The result is an inexpensive panel that ultimately requires no maintenance. If desired, a totally southwestern appearance can be achieved. Many southwestern-styled homes have been built with aluminum cans. The cans have proved to be as fluid as adobe for design and detailing, yet much more durable. In nature, there is no such thing as garbage. Garbage is simply a concept of the human dogma. A pyramid on the Mesa near Taos, New Mexico, also built of aluminum cans laid in a cement mortar. The construction photo on the previous page illustrates the structure of the aluminum can dome within the four leaning aluminum can walls of the pyramid. Sand fills the space between the dome and the leaning walls. Because the aluminum can walls are so lightweight, the sand fill actually supports them as they turn contain the sand. There's no material other than aluminum cans that could have facilitated this particular structural design concept. If we don't know what to do with the byproduct, we shouldn't use the product. Once the shift has been made, other byproducts of our material world began to change from garbage to natural resources. Use automobile tires tightly packed with earth create a two and a one half foot thick thermal mass wall that is also load bearing. On the previous page we see the first experimental structure using this technique in combination with aluminum cans. Here the technique has been refined to an art. In addition to allowing garbage to appear as a natural resource, the shift is what has allowed solar energy for heating and energizing homes to become part of our reality. Of course, the various energy scares we have had, from the oil shortage to the various nuclear power plant catastrophes, have inspired this shift. The use of solar energy is one of the few examples in our modern civilization of writing universal energy patterns. 
Solar energy is a universal energy, the patterns of which we are slowly learning to recognize as we begin to accept, align, and transform as we learn to ride it. There was once a small company called World Energy and Materials in Taos, New Mexico, that built solar, energy-efficient homes out of garbage. In the process of developing solar housing in the late 70s, they rode a major energy wave of the swarm of humanity, the U.S. government. This is a perfect example of riding energy, that of human nature, to develop housing that rides energy, that of the sun. The result was a government-financed step towards direct living for many people. This is a real application of the outlaw example of riding energy discussed in the previous chapter. The small company accepted and aligned with the existing patterns of FMHA. That is, they accepted FMHA as a substantial source of funds for producing housing while recognizing the housing left much to be desired from any standpoint, not to mention the concept of direct living. Alignment with FMHA allowed the small company to begin building FMHA housing and establish a rapport with MFHA. Thus, the small company allowed themselves to encounter FMHA. Further, the small company, which was made up of working people who themselves needed housing and jobs, began to slowly and subtly transform certain aspects of the rigid FMHA program toward the concepts of direct living, specifically toward solar underground housing. This was made possible because they allowed themselves to encounter FMHA rather than resist it. The transformation came about very slowly. First, some south-facing windows. Next, some strategic roof angles. Next, slightly submerged floor levels, until finally FMHA was financing solar underground housing. At this point, many of the workers of the small company applied for FMHA loans and got them because they had steady jobs building FMHA housing for the small company. So the workers became the clients and the FMHA money was used to develop solar underground housing for the small company's workers while also providing them with employment. The loan monies, as much as $250,000 in one year, were granted to a specific worker who then paid the small company, his employer, for a solar underground house. Then, the small company paid that very worker and his fellow workers a salary to build his house. The FMHA money was used like a ping-pong ball, back and forth to provide jobs, homes, and to pursue direct living concepts, all for the same people. It was like a grant. Everyone was being paid to research and develop direct living concepts while getting a home at the same time. No one agreed with the MFHA program to start with. It was much like an offensive wind. However, Encounter and Transformation turned this program into a research and development grant, providing jobs and homes for new age, much like a windmill takes an offensive wind and makes it pump life-giving water. This photo is the result, 
a small community of solar-oriented underground homes. This is direct living financed by the U.S. government. This is an example of writing energy to achieve further energy writing. These are very simple but very tangible steps towards direct living. This photo is a result. The solar underground house developed for this project was called the Volkshome or People's Home, after the Volkswagen car, which was the forerunner of the energy-efficient people's cars, cars that the majority of people could afford to purchase and operate. The following is a section of the Volkshome and a floor plan. The Volkshome developmental process took place over about a 10-year period. While providing homes and jobs, the FMHA monies were basically used for research and development of solar underground housing. This knowledge was then put together with the refined aluminum can and tire construction techniques and a home was developed employing the best of all that was learned. The result is a home made of basically free recycled materials that would otherwise have been termed garbage. This home makes its own heat, electricity and hot water from encounters with the sun. It grows food inside and reuses its grey water. This is a 95% self-sufficient home that encounters the earth, the sun and the byproducts of humanity itself. This is a home and a way of life that truly rides the energy patterns at hand. Every project leans further in the direction of making housing available to people with less stress to them and to the planet. The details get more simple while the performance gets better. We are learning to ride the waves both of the earth and of ourselves. We are developing an earthship this project is a prototype for a design to be used and built by the homeless. A whole new byproduct of our society, the homeless are a phenomenon of the hollow economy of the United States in the late 80s and early 90s. Direct living can reduce the dependence on this hollow economy and lead the homeless to a way of life that even the wealthy will soon be struggling for. This is direct living new and forgotten approaches to our existing way of life. This will buy us time to evolve other ways of life as we move towards our potential, which is the image of God. The small company continues to pursue even more low-tech applications of direct living. The following drawings were financed by the National Endowment for the Arts. They illustrate a building that encounters the earth, the sun, the wind and human garbage. This building is a basic solar underground configuration setting on an earth ramp tire wall. The shape of the building and landscaping is coned up to orient wind into the vertical axis windmill on top. The windmill produces electricity for the house. The windmill is called a dinosphere and is a low-tech design that can be manufactured in any small town that has a welder. This home grows food inside, reuses its grey water, gets heat and hot water from the sun, stores heat in the earth, and gets electricity from the wind. It is a refined version of the first building pictured in this chapter. 
beyond direct living. The buildings in this chapter illustrate many aspects of the concept of direct living as it relates to architecture. While these examples are a vivid application of direct living, they are by no means the only application. The direct living attitude can be applied to agriculture, medicine, economics, education and even politics. Direct living is a state of mind of which a reality is manifesting. Direct living makes use of the existing roots of our existing reality. It involves new and forgotten approaches to an existing overall concept of life. Direct living will buy us the time and mind space to allow and participate in our own evolution. Our own evolution will in turn take us beyond our present concept of life. Direct living is an immediate, tangible step we can take now. It will move us into closer contact with the unarguable phenomenon that we will eventually ride beyond direct living and beyond our existing concept of life. Imagine if someone offered you a choice between automobiles. Both look basically the same. Both cost about the same. Both handle much the same. However, one consumes gasoline and the other consumes nothing. Which one would you choose? <laughs>